The reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, and tw- 3 to 12. This can be found on page 1217. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, page 1217. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thank you very much, Edwin. Well, it's very nice to be here. We're in 1 Peter, and let me just start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have Peter's letter recorded for us in your Bible. 
We pray we will draw closer to you as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a fantastic book. It's an encouraging book. And I'm sure for those of us who've read through the Bible and followed Peter, we're very fond of Peter as well. I am fond of Peter. Jesus, he, he was called Simon originally, which means read. And then Jesus renamed him as Peter, meaning rock. So we can see the transformation that happened in Peter's life as he got to know Jesus. I don't know how you feel about problems and worries, about a sense of foreboding, fears, and how you respond to it. My first, it's a strong emotion, isn't it? Strong fear, foreboding, dread. My first recollection was the spelling test. We had 10 words to learn. I used to come home with it. The house was very busy and I used to sit on top of a, the old Coke boiler with this list and try and memorise it. And I'd go in and I'd fail miserably. I'd probably only get three right. And so each week as this was repeated, this great sense of dread and foreboding used to come over me. I, I couldn't bear the thought of it. Later on in school, occasionally the headmaster would thump his hands on the desk in the assembly and he'd tell us, right, a cricket bat's gone missing, or a watch, or maybe someone's fountain pen. There's going to be a school search. Everybody go and stand by your desks, go and stand by your locker. Great sense of dread. We all knew none of us had taken the bat or the watch. The boy had lost it. But there was going to be a search. The problem was we'd all have to stand by our desk and we had packets of sweets, we had comics, we had flick knives. There was an absolute sense of pandemonium, this great sense of dread. I've never forgotten it. Later on in life, eventually you get some A-levels and you get into university. First day, and the, uh, the lecturer's telling you, see you all here. By the end of this year, ten of you won't be here anymore. What? It's taken all that time to get in? And we're told we're not going to last? More worry. Sense of dread. Are we going to survive? We get a job, start the job, and after a, a bit of time, the boss says to you, can you come and have a word with me? Perhaps next week. Well, by the time you knock on his door, you're quite convinced you've lost the job, you've done something terrible. You have this inert sense of dread and worry. Perhaps you get a letter from a hospital saying you need to have further tests. Or maybe a law firm from America decides to serve papers on you for something you might have done 20 years ago. <laughs> a great sense of worry and dread takes place. Well, when Peter was writing this letter, what had happened was he was writing to the churches in what is now known as Western Turkey. And a time of persecution was approaching. They'd all learnt about Jesus and put their trust in him. And then suddenly this dreadful event seemed to be taking place in Rome. What was this event? There'd been a huge fire, 64 AD. It had gone on for nine days. Two-thirds of Rome was burnt to the ground. Well, the people were very upset. Just like today, if there's a problem, who do they blame? They blame the leader. And who was the leader? It was Nero. 
Well, Nero wasn't happy about this. He got the blame on him. He decided to deflect the blame. He says, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll blame the new religious group, these Christians. They must have caused the fire. Right, so they started arresting the Christians, they put them in jail, then they started throwing them to the lions. It was a really, really terrible time. They were being burnt alive. Well, news about this spread like wildfire across the Roman Empire. And so people who had come to Christ were really worried, just as we are today sometimes. If you're in Afghanistan and you're a Christian, you're going to be worried now because the Taliban have taken over. So Peter wrote this letter to say, look, you have joined the, the, not the club, but you've joined, you've joined Jesus Christ. You've joined with God and it is the best thing you've done. You're not to worry. He won't let you down. And so last Sunday, Tim explained in his excellent talk that followers of Christ were to be obedient to Christ and were chosen to be made perfect in Christ, resulting in a great sense of grace and peace. Well, this week, we learn why God's people have a glorious future. A glorious future. Isn't that wonderful? So, can you keep your Bibles open, folks? We need to, uh, I'm going to be referring to as we go along. It's page 1217. In our passage today, Peter lists four things to follow as a result of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are hope, they are faith, they are love and salvation. Hope, faith, love and salvation. Hope relates to what God is going to do for us in the future. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. Faith relates to what God has done in the past. Because we know God, because we love God and we follow Jesus, we know what he can do, so we have a faith. Love relates to what God is doing right now. We are right now here, we are loving our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And salvation is what God promises the followers of Jesus that will be secure in heaven. Now come with me to verse 3. Peter says, our hope is crucial since we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was stating that when the storm of persecution comes, hope in Jesus will hold the believers totally firm. These days, out of hope, faith and love, hope is probably the most neglected of the three. But the future hope is key. It's a key theme in the New Testament, and so it should be for us today. It was certainly a key thought for Peter's readers, for if you know that Jesus is coming back for you, it's much easier to face trouble. Verse 4 explains that even if you die, for whatever reason, death won't touch you. See, it says, look, we have a living hope for the future and the hope for a new inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance kept for you in heaven. Hope is not wishful thinking. We can be sure we will receive our inheritance if we place our complete trust in Jesus. 
Number two, faith. Our faith is something that builds up over a period of time. We learn about God. We learn about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And through study, fellowship, by praise, prayer, and worship, our lives become changed. We lean on God and discover he doesn't let us down. As a consequence, our faith develops, it strengthens, it grows. Thus in verse 5, Peter says, those through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. We have faith in Jesus, we have confidence in Jesus, for he is our rock to stand on and be secure, even, even in death. Well, knowing all this, we should therefore rejoice That's what verse 6 tells us. But Peter goes on to warn there will be times of trial ahead. Peter knew, you see, that very soon there was going to be challenging, fearful and dangerous times in their lives. Persecution was coming fast. He goes on to explain why troubles come. Verse 7. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in pure praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, fire, the fires test the gold and it comes out purer. In the days when gold was purified by hand, they used great big vats. You put the gold in and the refiner would heat it up and he'd stir it and a scum would appear and he'd clear the scum off and then he'd stir it again and he'd clear the scum off. And he knew the gold was okay when he could see his reflection in the surface. Then he stopped. And this is what Peter had in mind as a picture of what God is doing in our lives too. Our faith is tested from time to time so that we become increasingly Christ-like. Let me tell you a, a small true story. But I think it helps as we lean on our faith in our own lives. Uh, There's a lady I know who had to get from Heathrow to Conakry uh, in Guinea. And she flies from Heathrow to Paris and then Paris down to Conakry. Her son very kindly said, "Um, I'll take you, Mum. So anyway, they get to Heathrow and at 5am in the morning and discover that the flight had been cancelled. So she fought her way through to the check-in desk and discovered that that flight had now been transferred to the next flight, but she was number 15 on standby. And the son said, look, Mum, why don't we just go home? We'll reorganise the flights. It's not going to happen today. But uh, she said, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what. Um, If God wants me to get on the plane, he'll get me on the plane. I don't know how it's going to happen, but he'll do that. All right, Mum. I'll tell you what, I'll sit in the cafe, I'll stay till eight, and uh, when you come out, I'll take you home. So, anyway, Mum said goodbye to the son, and she walked through the immigration and went through to the uh, departure lounge. There's total chaos again, and she just calmly put her little, I'm number 15 on standby. And then after a few minutes, an air hostess came and took her by the hand, whizzed her down the gantry, put her on the plane, and shut the door. 
She was the last one on the plane, and she managed to get the connection from Paris and managed to get to join me in Mercy Ships. And uh, our son was amazed at the mother's faith, but she'd learnt it because she's trusted in God before, and we should do the same thing. There's more about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Do read that. Let's get on to love. Love in verse 8. Peter says, although you have not seen him, you love him. He mentions the joy in believers' hearts, a joy he, Peter, had experienced witnessing Jesus' resurrection, his transformation. Love, especially when expressed in praise, do you know is the true antidote to fear and failure. When you have a problem, the first thing you do, praise the Lord. It's the last thing you feel like doing. But when you have something that really troubles you, praise the Lord. Think of Andrew over there. Start singing. Your troubles will slowly diminish because you're praising the Lord. Peter's readers had been scattered away from their family homes. They felt isolated and some had drifted away from Jesus. And Peter wanted to encourage them to respond afresh to God's love, to praise him, who had given a new birth, a new hope and a new peace through his overwhelming mercy and grace. You know, Peter wrote from personal experience of Jesus' love. He'd once denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times before Jesus' crucifixion. And then he met him on the shores of Galilee after the resurrection. Jesus was cooking breakfast for the disciples. I've sat on that spot. Do go with Oak Hall if you can sometime and go round the seas of Galilee and Jerusalem. It's fantastic. And they sit you down on the beach and we read this passage from the Bible. Peter suddenly finds himself looking into a small campfire Do you know there's only two campfires mentioned in the New Testament? The first is in the courtyard of the high priest, where Peter sat warming himself by the fire, and he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Now he's looking into a fire again, and no doubt the memory of his total failure is still strong. Jesus Jesus did not say to Peter... Well, Peter, I'd rather hoped you were going to become the first minister of the church, but I'm afraid that the only job I can give you now is perhaps handing out the hymn books in the back of the church. Or he, did, he could have said to him, no, I'll tell you what, I'll put you on probation for a couple of years, and if you shape up, then uh, I can use you. No, he didn't say that. What he actually said to Peter, I can actually cope with you, provided I am sure of one thing, Do you love me? And he asked Peter that not once, not twice, but three times. This is probably the most important thing for any believer. Jesus loves you first, but do you love him back? You know, Jesus' question seemed to put Peter back on track. A short time later, it was Peter who was preaching at the Pentecost when 3,000 were baptised. So it's not surprising that love for Jesus is included in his letters. Okay, so Peter's now covered hope, faith, and love. Verses 9 and 12, he covers salvation. Let me just read this a little bit. 
For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's quite a big thought, isn't it? The salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Now, what does all this mean? Peter presents the Old Testament as a major encouragement for Christians. You see, all of the prophets did not know Jesus. The Spirit of Christ was within them and enabled them to write accurately about his death and resurrection in the Old Testament. We can see this in things like Psalm 22, verses 15 to 18, and Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 9. Even when our own confidence in the future is dimmed or under threat, and our own present lives are clouded in trouble, the Bible is always God's reliable word to us. The prophets knew that they were writing about these things outside their human knowledge. As hard as they tried, they couldn't work out the whole story. But they knew that God wanted them to write it down, so they recorded it. His word, later on, makes total sense to people like us, because we can see the whole picture. These words serve not only to inform us about God's grace through Jesus, but also to reassure us that his suffering was no accident and his subsequent resurrection was all planned by God so that we might share his future glory. The teaching of Jesus and the preaching of the apostles is fully validated by the Old Testament. Do you know there's over 500 Old Testament quotations that appear in the New Testament to interpret the life and work of Jesus? The same Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets and apostles to write still inspires us as we read the Bible so that we believe the gospel and can be saved. Now, there's anyone here today who hasn't asked Jesus into their lives? Look at what you're missing out on. It's very simple. You just say sorry to Jesus and say, please, Jesus, come into my life. Can I challenge you to do that, to be part of this wonderful, wonderful Brotherhood and sisterhood in God. You might have been putting it off. You might think, oh, I'll do it next week. Oh, I'll do it next year. Just ask Jesus into your life. He will transform you. Do you know, even the angels were amazed as they saw God's plan for our salvation. Verse 12. Over the past 2,000 years, since the ascension of Jesus... Many hundreds of thousands, no millions of Christian folk all over the world have put their faith, their hope, their love in Jesus. Despite setbacks, persecution, hardships, the promise and hope of their salvation kept them true until they were called by God to join him. Peter tells us that we too can be sure of sharing his glory, knowing that we are called to live each day with confidence, trusting Jesus. You know, we need to go out into the world, live a life that his Holy Spirit encourages us to do, and we can try and reveal Jesus to our friends and family, our work colleagues, 
And we do this with hope, with faith, with love for our fellow man, and in the knowledge that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. This little passage, 3 to 12, has it all, really. It's an amazing thought, isn't it, how Peter managed to condense it all down. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a record of Peter's letter. Forgive us when we sometimes doubt your word, which has sustained so many generations of believers. As they trusted and acted on your word, help us to do the same. Even when our lives are hard and uncertain, we know you will never let us down. Help us share the truth of the gospel with the aid of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.